the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Heaven wants us to affirm the truth with a hearty amen every now and then in the church. Did you hear me? Amen. Yeah. The modern worship movement and all of its focus on selfish wants and personal preferences represents a direct fulfillment of Bible prophecy. You see, worship is going to be corrupted and attacked at the end of time. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Today's message with Pastor Mike is entitled Fire, Fear, and Worship. We hope you enjoy it. Before we get started, we want you to know that we believe here at Reaching Your Heart that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us anytime during the broadcast. That telephone number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Michael Oxenteco. Most of what is called worship these days is not worship at all. In the modern worship movement, most of what is called worship is really self-worship. It's the worship of worship itself. Now, that may not be very popular. I mean, I realize this great trend that has taken over the country in the last 40 years where worship has been reduced to something that looks like a rock concert or something that looks like a gathering of hands waving up and down and nothing else. There's no movement toward God on God's terms in such a worship. In biblical worship, there is a godly fear and awe, but not the kind of fear that keeps a person away from God. And if that part of worship is missing, you're not worshiping God. It is the kind of fear that prepares the heart to draw near to God and thus to receive God on God's terms and not our terms. Friend, God cannot be received into the life that does not respect Him as a person and treat Him with dignity and regard His divine presence with awe and majesty. If we don't approach God with that sense of who God is, we're not really worshiping God. So the trivial, the rote, the profane, the formality the highfalutin, the arrogant, the obscene. All of these are an absolute offense to a holy God who is himself a consuming fire, the ultimate person in the universe. I say forthrightly today that much of the modern worship movement is nothing more than self-worship and the worship of worship itself, not God. In the book of Revelation, the angel told John, he said, John, worship God. And that's what we are called to do at the end as well. The modern worship movement in its focus on selfish wants and personal preferences, it's amazing. Very often we'll say, well, I didn't get anything out of worship. Now ask yourself the question, is that what worship is for? So that you'll get something out of it? Now God wants our needs being met. True. But isn't worship offering to God what is His due and right as our Creator? Well, can you answer that question for me? Now we learned last week from these kids, we say what? When something's right on. Children, come back up here. We're going to teach the church again how to do this. Come on up. Yep. All the kids, come on up. 
Yep, we got to renew that lesson here for our congregation. Now, when we say amen right, we are actually doing what angels do in heavenly worship. Remember they say amen and they cast their crowns down before God? The four and twenty elders do? Now, we don't want to say amen in a flippant way. Amen means it is true. Christ is called the amen in the book of Revelation. So when we say amen, it's our way of saying... Now, there are times when clapping hands is okay in church. And that's when we are giving praise to God. But if we are giving praise to the special music or whatever, it's not okay. You see the difference? Psalms 47.1, I think, is the verse that speaks of that. Amen is a much better vehicle to do it for the most part. So let's practice it one more time. We're going to say, Amen. Now let's do it again. Amen. Now we want the congregation to work with us with the Holy Spirit and heavenly angels. So congregation, let's say it together. Amen. That's much better. God bless you and go back to your seat. We just need to rehearse the lesson we learned last week. Heaven wants us to affirm the truth with a hearty amen every now and then in the church. Did you hear me? Amen. Yeah. The modern worship movement and all of its focus on selfish wants and personal preferences represents a direct fulfillment of Bible prophecy. You see, worship is going to be corrupted and attacked at the end of time. And the Bible predicts that the whole world would worship the beast, his image, and they would worship in a way that would misalign them to have a right relationship with God. Revelation 13, 12. The Bible speaking of the great world kingdom beast power at the end of time. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence. Actually, the lamb-like beast is what it's talking about here. A beast that points people to the beast instead of Christ. A beast that looks like a lamb, but it's not Jesus. It's a lamb-like beast. Verse 12. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence. And notice what it says next. It makes the earth and its inhabitants do what? Worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It works great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in the sight of men. And by the signs which it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, bidding them make an image for the beast which was wounded by the sword and yet lived. You see, it's possible to be caught up in a worship movement that deceives you rather than leads you to Christ. It's possible to lose your individuality in the group feeling of a group worship experience that's not worship at all when it's simply a compulsion of sorts when you are carried by the phenomena rather than coming to God with awe and wonder. And so it says the whole world will wonder after the beast at the end. And it goes on to say it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast. The Greek word is spirit. A false Holy Spirit movement will lead people away from Christ and His Word to worship the beast power. Give spirit to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast should even speak and to cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave. Now, the word cause means it forces compulsion instead of freedom. And so worship is reduced to nothing more than making people do what you want. It goes on to say to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. I do not want to have any part to do with that kind of worship. What about you? I want to stay far away from it. The very first time that the word worship is used in the Bible, there is a test, and Abraham's faith is tested by God to see if he will serve the Creator for what he can get from God or what he can give to God as recognizing that God is the great Creator of all. In other words, the gift is put opposite the giver. Which one will he choose? 
The worship call that came to Abraham was the command to come and sacrifice his son Isaac on the mountain that God would show him. It would later be the very mountain that would be the sacrificial mountain where Christ would die for our sins. The cost of worship for Abraham was high. It was death. And the fear of the outcome was real. It was worse than death. To live without his son for the rest of his life. To live without the gift. To only have the giver, but not the gift anymore. And thus Abraham approaches the place of worship where he hears the voice of God as Abraham learns that in the worship of God, real worship, not fake worship, there is a fear that overcomes fear. There is a cost. There is a sacrifice. There is a giving that results in living. And so Abraham approaches God with fire and a knife in his hand to take the life of his son on the altar that for him is an altar of fear in the call of God to worship. The price of worship, friend, is costly and the outcome is uncertain for Abraham. Genesis 22.5, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the ass. I and the lad will go yonder and worship and shall come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took his hand, the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. On the holy mountain... Abraham binds his son on the altar of sacrifice. Why? Because it takes an altar of sacrifice to worship God in the right way. Giving is living. And giving means dying to live for God. And so the price is high for Abraham. You have to die to self to really worship God, right? The gift was so great for Abraham. The risk was there of it becoming God for Abraham. And so God was asking for him to return the gift. Isaac is the most precious gift in Abram's life as he stands before that altar. And Abraham must choose between the gift as a God and the God who is the gift. And when the price is clear and the choice is even clearer, Abraham lifts his knife to take away from Isaac that which God gave him life. Sacrifice. Fire. Fear. Worship. And when the fire is near... And the knife is ready in his hand to plunge into a father's heart first and then his son's heart second because the life of Isaac is Abraham's life. The broken heart is finally at the center of worship and the price of sacrifice is clear for Abraham. He sees the price clearest through his tears that you must give to live. Friend, it is only then that the voice of God is heard by Abraham in this worship test of his horrible ordeal. The pre-existent Christ at this point reveals himself to Abraham. Genesis 22, verse 12. He said, the angel of the Lord, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your only son from me. So the one who speaks is the one who gives life and the one who has the right to take life. And verse 13, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering. Here is the key phrase, instead of his son. As a substitute for his son. A death for a death. A life exchange is occurring here. A foretaste of the cross of Calvary. Now I guarantee you that day at that moment when fear, fire, and worship were one. When the divine hand intervened. And prevented the plunge of the knife that would have broken two hearts that day. That the voice of God was heard clear by Abraham. And Abraham's worship of fire and fear turned to joy. Why? Because the sacrifice 
And the price of true worship was clear. He had paid the price in his mind. And when it was done and God intervened, there was joy because God desires His people live with Him forever. The choice had been made for God and not the gift. And He got the gift back. And Abraham put it all on the altar for the God he loves. Dear heart, when we worship God, we are called to the same kind of commitment to place the gift on the altar because we love God more than the gift. Dear heart, when you put it all on the altar, God is revealed at that point in your life as God. And not one minute sooner. At the end of time, the final call to worship is a call to fear, fire, and worship. The same elements we see here. Revelation 14, 6, the first angel's message. A prophetic call that goes to this planet and Jesus returns. That I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven with an everlasting gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth. To every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. And he said with a loud voice, what does the text say here? Fear God and give Him glory. For the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of water. I mean, the elements of awe, grandeur, respect, a holy fear that will overcome the fear of the beast's power. All here in the first angel's message. Look at verse 18. And then another angel came from the altar. The angel who has the power of a fire. And he called with a loud voice to him who has the sharp sickle. Put in your sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for its grapes are ripe. God uses fire to gather those who come to Him in holy worship. God's people lived in slavery after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob died. Slavery in Egypt produced a bitter life that was not real living, but a bondage kind of existence. Kind of like the nine-to-five living, but worse, that many people endure today. Friend, Christ came into this world to give us life, His life, so that we could live the life that is abundant living. But the cost of our new life was his hard felt death. And he gave his life in death, friend, to end the bondage for us all. To take us out of captivity. The gospel releases the soul in bondage from captivity. More with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. Studying the Bible is vital to our lives, and we would like to help you in that process by providing you free Bible study guides. These full-color Bible study guides are available for you right now if you dial this telephone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. We would love for you to call and get your copy of these free Bible study guides at any time. That's 888-244-4673. Now more with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. And so Moses stands before Pharaoh telling Pharaoh that God is going to end the bondage. He's going to let him go three days and worship. You better let us go or plagues will fall on us if we don't obey God and hear the invitation to come and worship him. Pharaoh, you're in the way. Get out of the way of God and us. That's what he's saying. And Pharaoh at that point protests and mocks Moses and God too. And Exodus 5, 1, and afterward Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a fast to me in the wilderness. The Hebrew word there is a sacred festival feast, not a fast, excuse me, a hog festival. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? 
that I should heed His voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. Now that's a sad statement. I do not know the Lord and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Now he didn't have that power. He thought he did, but he didn't. He could not keep one saint in captivity that God in His power was prepared to release. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us go, we prayed. A day's journey, three days' journey in the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God lest He fall on us with pestilence or with sword. But, verse 4 is a big transition, but the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get to your burdens. Friend, in every person's life there is a call to worship. And that is also a call to come to freedom, to come out of captivity and to come to God. And there's always someone that the devil will raise up to get in the way of you and God's call. And that someone will think that they have God-like power over you in your life. They have no power like that because God in Christ has set us free. Paul says, for freedom, we have been set free in Christ. When you let go of the power of self-interest and you put God's interest first and you pay the price of sacrifice in worship, in other words, of giving the gift because you love the giver more and you feel the fire and fear of God's majesty and holy awe, the soul is set free by the sweet perfume of God's grace in your life. In the first angel's message, as soon as there is a call to worship God as the Creator, because the hour of God's judgment has come, and we're living in a day today in the church where many people say this prophecy stuff is foolishness. I hear them saying, I hear ministers saying that. And they say, well, you know, we need to just teach the gospel. You cannot teach the gospel at the end of time unless you proclaim the prophetic truth that undergirds it, supports it, and points to it. The prophecies are the proof of the gospel. And the two are one. Why is the everlasting gospel reaffirmed at the end? Because the hour of God's judgment has come. That is a prophetic message to the world. And friend, if you're putting God on trial in your experience by making the Word of God morph into what you want it to be, you are an idolater before God. God is calling us to surrender to the Word of God in our worship and our belief system at this time. The hour of God's judgment has come. Worship is judgment. There is a call, an invitation to come to God. But when that call is given, it is a judgment hour call. And guess what? It is a freedom call because we come out of Babylon. We come out of captivity. Babylon was the first world kingdom order. And like Egypt, God's people were taken into captivity in Babylon. They messed up. They went back to captivity. True worship ends the captivity at the end of time. Revelation 14 verse 8 Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of her impure passion. Now Babylon here represents a fallen religio-political system that has a direct dominance over the world powers at the end of time. And the Bible is saying we have to get out of Babylon to get into God. We have to forsake that which holds us captive to come to God who sets us free. You cannot have two loyalties in life. You cannot have two gods you worship. Revelation 18.4 Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. It's possible to be aligned with entire movements that have nothing more to do with God than the devil himself. 
And we must test them by the Word of God. And when the call is made, we are to get out of Babylon and get out now at the end of time. Why? Because the hour of God's judgment has come. Worship Him who made heaven and earth the sea and the fountains of water. When the ten plagues fell on Egypt, the last plague took the firstborn son of King Pharaoh and many sons of Egypt along with him. It was decisive. It was the event that broke their bondage and gave them freedom. And when the price was paid... Israel left Egypt a free and dignified people serving a holy and loving God. Then and only then did God appear as the pillar of fire and cloud leading His people to the holy mountain to worship God. They came singing, praising God to Mount Sinai at the time in the spring that would later become the Feast of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit would be poured out centuries later. But unlike the disciples who by faith ascended Mount Zion with the Lamb, the disciples who opened their hearts as Christ went up that high and holy mountain in the presence of God to become our high priest, to function in that new covenant capacity, the people in the old covenant experience were afraid of the fire and they withdrew from the fire and away from God in fear. Friend, the problem is not the fire in the story. The problem is sin, which creates the wrong kind of fear toward fire. In the Bible, there is a fear that overcomes fear. And the fear of the Lord in the right kind of way is the beginning of wisdom. God came down on Mount Sinai in fire. Jesus is coming back at the right hand of the Father at the end of the age in fire. So we don't learn how to deal with that fire now. We're not going to be ready at the end of the age. As fierce as the fire is, friend, you cannot worship God unless you draw near to God in the fire, because God is in the fire. The Hebrew word for priest in the Old Testament means one who draws near. We are called to be priests to God in Exodus 19 and 1 Peter as well, to draw near to God, to represent Him as a holy priest to the holy nation. And we are to find Christ as that one who takes us into God's presence. You know, we sometimes pass over the fact in the story of the Exodus that God told Moses to tell the people in Exodus 19 verse 13, That when the ram's horn blew real loud, then they were to all draw near and they were to come in the Hebrew, Bahar, into the mountain. They were not forever to be kept back. There was a moment when it was right for them to come to God. God appeared in fire on the third day and God spoke His law from the fire and the tempest. And when the tempest blew in the midst of the storm and the people withdrew from God instead of coming, as the ram's horn extended, they pulled back instead of moving forward. They were not exercising faith in God. Friend, there has to be a fire in the heart for the heart to change. Christians who are kind of like non-committal, kind of like halfway there, moaning through their Christian experience, are not Christians at all. We either have the fire of the Holy Spirit working for Christ, loving Christ with love and passion and boldness, or we are not Christians. The Holy Spirit has not given us this attitude of fear and timidity, but one of love, of kindness, of bold Christianity. And so the law is not enough to change a heart to overcome fear. The fire must be a different kind of fire. Why? But we're all afraid of fire by nature. Have you ever got yourself burned in a fire? You, know, you stuck your hand there and it's got burned real good. First time I got burned, it was a campfire. My dad took me camping. I was a little boy. The only memory I have of him ever taking me camping was a brick sitting there right next to the fire. Oh, that's a nice brick. I picked it up. 
you know, big burn mark all the way across my hand. I was screaming and crying. He was patting me on the back, trying to encourage me, don't cry. I mean, memory is vivid in my mind right now. It's something. And it was a loving gesture on the part of my dad. But fire hurts, and it hurt for a long time. Because the fear of fire is intrinsic in the human heart, just as much as the fear of God is intrinsic, we run away from the fire, don't we? And so there must be a fear that overcomes the old obsolete fear in worship that is only about self-preservation, about not getting burned, and not about the glory of God. Exodus 20, verse 18. Now when all the people perceived the thunderings and the lightnings and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And what does the text say? They stood afar off. And they said to Moses, You speak to us and we will hear, but let not God speak to us lest we die. They didn't draw near. They went away. And Moses said to the people, verse 20, Do not fear, for God has come to prove you that the fear of Him may be before your eyes that you may not sin. Now literally, the Hebrew reads like this. He has come so that His fear will be upon your faces so you will not sin. Now that's more profound to me. Today's message with Pastor Michael Oxentenko was entitled Fire, Fear, and Worship. Due to our time constraints, we were not able to complete it, but we'll continue with this broadcast next time. You can listen online at reachingyourheart.com or download a copy to your personal library. Once again, that website is reachingyourheart.com. We'd love for you to go there and visit now. You'll find an opportunity to listen to this message again, as well as many other messages archived there for you. That's reachingyourheart.com. We'd love to give you this wonderful free book entitled Soul Care. Go ahead and call us now. It's a short 64-page volume all about becoming a whole in a broken world through a personal relationship with God. Once again, that telephone number is 888-244-4673, 888-244-HOPE. If you've been inspired by this message and want to partner with us to further spread these messages and keep us broadcasting on the air, then we welcome your partnership. And you can give a donation of any amount. We thank you for your support. Once again, that telephone number is 888-244-4673. Thanks for listening today. We hope you'll join us again next time for another Reaching Your Heart. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.